Some trust in chariots. Chariots, schmariots. Chariots, schmariots. Where we're going, we don't need chariots. <laughs> yeah. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Bible Geeks Weekly Podcast. This is episode 120. I'm Brian Cheely. I'm Ryan Choi. And thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in. We're in week 33 of our cross-training series here, kicking off a conversation about watchfulness, a focus on something that we're seeing that not everybody sees. And on this episode, we're going to focus on spiritual awareness, being aware of things that are going on beyond the physical realm into things that are happening in the spiritual places. Yeah, yeah. I I think I mentioned a week or two ago this event that we did with a bunch of youth. We call it EPIC, where we do a bunch of Bible studies and we do some other activities. But we always have kind of a pop culture-ish theme that connects to a Bible theme. Mm -hmm. And we went with a superhero theme as we were talking about it. And so I made this game for them that I think ties to this spiritual awareness idea where I put together superpowers that they know of from Marvel superheroes and stuff like that, and then showed them how spiritually, because of our spiritual awareness, because of the different perspective we have, we too have superhuman or unnatural, unusual things that we do that regular people don't do. For instance, we talked about becoming all things to all people in order to save them. That's kind of like shape-shifting, you know, or, <laughs> or or immortality is like eternal life and burying others' burdens is like super strength. So I wanted to give you a few that tied more directly to this spiritual awareness. I'm going to give you the spiritual power and you tell me the superhero superpower from a comic book, okay? Okay, all right. Okay, so just going with what we're talking about, seeing the spiritual realm as a spiritual power, what superpower would that go with? What is that, like seeing through walls like Superman? (laughs) Yeah, I said extrasensory perception. Sure. Okay, what about secret acts of kindness and godliness? Mm, Maybe that'd be like being invisible, kind of sneaking in there without anybody seeing you. Yeah, yeah, invisibility. Some of these are a little a little harder than others, but so what about knowing what will happen at the end? Oh, being able to see the future. Yeah, precognition is what okay. I said. But yeah, I mean, that changes everything. When you know the end of the story, it changes right. how you live in it. What about being able to enter heaven's throne from anywhere on earth? Teleportation. Boom! (laughs) Which is the best superpower, by the way. (laughs) I I have to say telekinesis would be Mm. the best because then not only could I fly, but I could like have the remote travel to me whenever I want or lift up other things. I like it. So there's a a laziness aspect to it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Discerning the spiritual needs of others beneath the surface, like beneath their actions and their attitudes that you see, seeing those spiritual needs underneath them. Hmm. I don't know. You're going to have to give me a hint on this one. So that's the one that I had uh, x-ray vision. Oh, x-ray vision. Of course. X-ray vision. Or letting go of the past and pressing on to the goal. Time travel. Yeah. (laughs) What about knowing the mind of God? In 1 Corinthians 2, 11 to 16, nobody knows the thoughts of man except the person within them. But we have the mind of Christ. Well, that's like mind reading, right? Yeah, yeah, telepathy. I could go on and on with a lot of these. It was so fun, (laughs) but you did pretty well. That was impressive. And you can kind of see, hopefully, that as he says there in that passage I just mentioned, he says there is the natural man who can't 
perceive or discern the spiritual things, the things of God, but we're not natural men. We are spiritual, and therefore we perceive something different because we have the mind of Christ. God has revealed himself to us in his word, and now we see everything differently, and we're able, therefore, to do things that other people wouldn't do. I think that's a pretty (laughs) interesting way to think about this idea of spiritual awareness. Well, I like this introduction to the episode could have been an entire segment. I just want to keep playing this game. But (laughs) uh, let's move on to our first segment here on the episode. And that is like the teacher. So again, we're going to somewhere where Jesus teaches us about spiritual awareness. And that's in John 18 verses 33 through 40, where Pilate is basically having this conversation with Jesus before his death. He asks him a few questions. Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus doesn't exactly answer the question, but he wonders, are you asking me this because you want to know? Or is this what other people have said? He throws up his hands. He says, well, am I a Jew? Your own nation, your own chief priest delivered you over to me. What have you done? So they shift the conversation from, are you a king? To like, why are you even here? What what have you been accused of? And Jesus then answers, famously, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. So there we go. Spiritual awareness here. Jesus is talking about his kingship not being of this world, otherworldly in nature. And so mm. Pilate basically latches onto that. Oh, okay, well, you are a king then. And Jesus answers him, you say that I am a king for this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world. And so we see this interesting conversation between Jesus and Pilate about this spiritual awareness that he's opening up Pilate's eyes to. So what do you learn here about watchfulness from Jesus' words? I think Pilate, like a lot of us, a lot of the time, is stuck in a broken paradigm. There's a meme where Jim Carrey asks a girl the chances of them being together. It's from a movie, and she tries to let him down easy. Well, it's not good. The chances are not good. And he says, like, one in a thousand? And she says, like, one in a million. So you're telling me there's a chance. (laughs) There it is. And you love to see the optimism, but really he's just not listening to what she's trying to say. He's exactly. just he's just finding that glimpse of what he already wanted to believe. And I guess that's a weird illustration, but it's what I thought of when I saw Pilate say at the end of this long discussion with Jesus, ah, so you are a king. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> the conversation starts with Pilate's question, Jesus, are you a king? Are you the king of the Jews? But Jesus challenges him and this it takes all these turns and he's trying to get him to think more profoundly about what it means for him to be king and jesus says like you said my kingdom isn't of this world otherwise my servants would be fighting for me notice nobody is fighting for me right now i don't want them to be fighting for me i told them to put their swords away and beneath this is the even more profound truth that that's the kind of kingdom jesus reigns over the kind where kings go to crosses For their people, where the battle is won, not by drawing swords, but by sheathing them as your king is delivered over to the Jews. And all Pilate can say to this is, aha, I knew it. You are a king. (laughs) Right. He totally missed the point. He missed the point. He just had this idea of what it means to be a king. He's trying to decide what to think about all this, but he's totally lost. And you can kind of see that, too, in his question there. What is truth? And we, I think I myself bring my assumptions sometimes, my paradigms, my normal way of looking at everything to the kingdom of God. 
And Jesus wants us to see this totally different realm, this spiritual plane that operates differently with different players and higher stakes than anything we know here below. Everything is different when we see this kingdom that's not of the world and the enemies of that kingdom that are not of this world. It just changes everything. But again, like Pilate, I can be like, oh, I thought so. Yeah, I, I, I dismiss it all as, <laughs> oh, yeah, I get it. I know. I know. <laughs> and may we ask the question a little deeper. May we look, listen a little closer, look a little closer to what Jesus has to say here. How many times during Jesus' ministry does he say something very clearly that we, on the other side of his words, understand as being deeply profound, but the people hear it and just glance right off of it? And that is exactly what Pilate does here. When Jesus in John 6 says, eat my flesh and drink my blood, that's just shocking. That's not something the people expected Jesus to talk about. And they don't get it. And they dismiss it. And they walk away like, this is too hard. We can't do this anymore. Mm. Jesus is constantly teaching us to think different. And especially about his kingdom and who he is as a king. Like on the surface, Jesus does not look like a king. Pilate is standing before Jesus, who really probably looks nothing like the king that he would expect to see. He's probably just this dirt poor nobody that Pilate doesn't really have any familiarity with. And I don't know how Pilate is thinking about Jesus here, but it's clearly not that you look like a king, that you actually look like somebody who is royalty. But God doesn't view things the way that we do. And I think that's what I walk away from this conversation understanding is like God sees things completely differently than we do. It's like, stop looking at what you can see and look under the surface. Am I walking by faith and not by sight? Or am I just so related to what I can see and what I can prove with my eyes? Am I seeing what's really going on behind the scenes in all of these things? And that is, I guess, what we're talking about in this episode, spiritual awareness. Seeing the unseen is not an easy skill to have, but I guess like you said, it's a superpower that we need to cultivate in our lives. Yeah, it makes me think of playing board games with my kids <laughs> who <laughs> just have no respect for rules of play. <laughs> they just are still at that age where they want to play the game of life, but they really just want to drive cars around with little yeah, pink and much. blue people in <laughs> and spin the thing and see what career they get. And you're playing the game. And you're thinking, I, I'm winning. But they're like, no, that's not the game I'm playing. It's a different thing. In my game, I'm winning. And that's kind of what Jesus does here. He's saying, it looks to you like I'm losing this game. But for him and for us as Christians, we're playing a whole different game with wholly different rules, even though we're on the same playing board from everyone else's perspective there's so much more happening than what it looks like on the surface because we know what the game is really about. Yeah. All right, yeah. so let's get into our second segment here on the episode, and that is Poetry in Motion. Poetry in Motion. So we're in Psalm 20 as we've been continuing through, very slowly, our study of the Psalms. Psalm 20 really is all about seeing things from a different perspective, playing a different kind of game like we just talked about. And so... Psalm 20 is pretty short, so let's go through it. Verses 1 through 3, how does David kick this thing off? I think the main point here in the beginning is a blessing on the king. And I think the key verse here is 
that first one where he starts off, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. And he continues throughout this whole first section, starting with the word may. Yeah. And this idea of this is a blessing. This is a prayer. This is a desire for God to do good. And ultimately, I think this is about the king. The Lord's anointed is the one that's being talked about. Save the king. And it seems like this is something that the people would say to the king. They're praying for blessings on the Lord's anointed. And then he responds down in verses six to eight. And so you think of government today. Some people love our government leaders. Some people can't stand them. Most people don't have the time to think about them much and just want them to stay out of their lives. Right. This is a very different picture in this psalm. It's a picture of the people of Israel and their anointed king that verse six identifies as the singular you. So throughout verses one to five, there's this singular person. May the Lord answer you singular in the day of trouble. And then when I think we see who that is. But all the people stand with God's anointed as he prepares for battle in this time of trouble. He represents them. If he died in 2 Samuel 21, 17, they said, if you would die, it would quench the lamp of Israel. There's this place in Lamentations where it talks about the Messiah as the breath of our nostrils. Hmm. He's the one that is just so precious to us because God has appointed him our king. And all of this, of course, foreshadows the true anointed Messiah who represents us in battle, who carries all our hopes with him, who is the breath of our nostrils, who is the light of our lamp. He alone could overcome the forces that oppose us through the power of God. And yet even when foreshadowed in David, it's this lovely picture, the king whose people wholeheartedly pray for him. But beyond protection, what else do they seek for him? Yeah, I love the key word here that you bring out is may. May the Lord answer you. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you. May he remember all your offerings. And then that continues in verses four and five. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation. And in the name of our God, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. So they continue that blessing They're calling on God to answer us, answer Mm -hmm. us. This is what we want. We want for you to bless our king. We want for you to protect us. We want for you to grant all of our desires, really just giving us what we so desperately want and what we so desperately need. You kind of think about this as you're asking God to give us what we want. You kind of almost start to get into this mindset. Maybe God is like a genie in a bottle. He's just going to give us whatever we want. I kind of think about that like when you wish upon a star kind of moment where (laughs) that's not who God is. God isn't a God who just gives us whatever we desire. Anything your heart desires will come to you. Will come to you, right? And that's kind of what this psalm sounds like a little bit. But there is something powerful about our prayers that can lead God to action on our behalf, especially when we ask according to his will. 1 John 5 verse 14, he hears us when we ask according to his will. When our motivation lines up with God's motivation and what our desires are just deeply motivated by what God desires, then clearly God is going to give us everything that we plan 
because our plans line up with his plans. And that's awesome to think about. But not everybody trusts the Lord like this. And I think we need to understand that this is a unique characteristic of God's people and of the king. There are some people, though, who don't really believe that God is powerful like he truly is. Yeah, you really see that contrast as you think about the battle that he's evidently preparing for. This Mm -hmm. is the day of trouble, as we see in verse one. And if I were to summarize this next section into two words, I might say chariot schmariot. (laughs) (laughs) I don't need your chariots. He says in verse seven, beautifully, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. (laughs) So in verse six, he says, now I know it's been, may God do this for you, the people have been saying, but now there's this response. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from heaven. And then he says, on behalf of all the people, we trust in the name of the Lord, our God, not in military technology, not in mighty weapons. They collapse and fall. We rise and stand upright. And There's a quote that I heard in high school years ago that I just think about all the time. It's always stuck with me. It's from Henry David Thoreau, who said, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. Have you heard that one before? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a famous quote. And it has always seemed to me just tragically true as I look around. And even in my own life at at times, I think that there's been kind of a quiet desperation in some moments of my life. But I think David's words strike a blow against that desperate, grasping, quiet panic that I think a lot of people quietly in the shadows are living with in their their hidden world. This is real stuff that he's talking about. I mean, these are real chariots, real horses that carried real men with spears and swords and bows. David and the people of Israel had no doubt seen the short work that weapons like this could make of their family and friends at times. So this is real danger that they're facing in these battles. And yet their confidence remained in the might of Yahweh to deliver them. And we face very real challenges too. We may face sicknesses like cancer, or maybe we'll face financial ruin and bankruptcy. And the spiritual dangers, of course, are no less real more significant, whether it's that spiral of habitual sin, the relationships broken by evil, and the ultimate danger of that eternal distance from the one true source of light and goodness. But whatever danger we face, we also face this choice of where to put our confidence. Mm -hmm. And when David put his trust in God, it didn't mean he was leaving his weapons at home. We don't have to reject medicine to treat cancer or deal with things in a different way than common sense tells us to. But where we place our trust will determine whether we walk through life with Thoreau's quiet desperation or with confident joy, regardless of the battle or its outcome. When you say we trust in the name of the Lord, our God, we're saying we know we're going to stand upright at the end of all of this. We'll do what we can. We'll fight our fight. But it's God that we're counting on ultimately to see us through. And it just it just changes things. And so when we think about this whole big picture and we bring the psalm to an end, what are the final words of the people as they respond to these rousing words of their king? Well, again, it is, oh, Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. That's how this psalm ends. And again, like you said, they are really shouting for their king. They're on their king's side. Not may the king answer us when we call. May the Lord answer us when we call. 
They're shouting to the Lord, please save our king, bring him back from the brink of of death and destruction, and hear us when we call again. A call for the Lord to answer us. And I think just really settling into this whole psalm, we see how today's battle that we face, like you were talking about there, very real threats that come at us in a physical sense, but also in a spiritual sense. We are not battling against people, though, today. And I think this might be the contrast from this psalm, where this psalm may have very well been talking about a real physical battle that the people were going through. But our battle today, as Paul talks about in Ephesians, is a spiritual battle. In verse 12 of chapter 6, Paul says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil. In the heavenly places. So we are uniquely aware of who our enemy is. And we, like these people, are calling on God to step in on our behalf in this great spiritual battle. And the great part about this is we know that we've already won. We know that we are already more than conquerors through him who loved us. As Paul talks about in Romans 8, verse 37, nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Jesus Christ. Nothing can pull us away, not angels or rulers things present, things to come, powers, height, depth, anything else in all of creation is going to be able to separate us from God's love in Jesus. We know we've already won the battle. Yeah, it's just a testament to the power of prayer, Mm -hmm. to the power of recognizing our own weakness. There is nothing in this whole psalm about their strength, about God has given us horses and chariots to match their horses and chariots. (laughs) Right. It's all about, I know that my weapons are not what's going to get the job done. It's the fact that we are calling on the true God and asking him for help and we'll rely on his hand and his power to get us through. And God is definitely not plan B here for these people, I think is what you're saying. (laughs) Yeah. Definitely was not the fallback to the fallback plan. Like this was plan A. Like we know if God isn't with us, then we're just toast. I love that point. There is no desperation here in what they're saying. This is not after they're about to lose the battle. They have a strategy. Their strategy is prayer. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, I mean, not that they're not doing anything else strategic, but the core of their battle strategy is we're going to rely on God. We're going to seek his help. We're going to call on his name. And Adrian has been emphasizing this point lately as we've talked about Satan and the forces of darkness and temptation and the difficulties we face and just just banging this drum of we don't need to be afraid. We need to take the devil seriously. We need to take the darkness seriously, but we don't need to panic. We don't need to think that this is something where we're barely going to make it through by the skin of our teeth. As you said, we are overwhelmingly abundantly more than conquerors. Whatever (laughs) is better than a conqueror, that's what we are. We have won. We have lapped the field. We are killing it here. Oh, yeah. Not because of our strength, but because Jesus Christ, the king, has won for us. And that's a great reminder as we continue into our third segment here on the episode. And that is through the week. I am ready to face any challenges that might be foolish enough to face me. And so here we are thinking about spiritual awareness. And we've got five challenges that we're going to do this week. We encourage you to do them along with us. Our first challenge is a reading challenge, as it always is. And that's to read John 18, verse 33 through 40 that we talked about at the top of the episode. First Thessalonians 5 
verses 4 through 11, Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 23, Ephesians 5, 6 to 17, and Revelation 1, verses 4 to 21. And I was thinking about that first chapter of Ephesians here, where Paul is really encouraging us to look deeper and to look at the thing that we can't see on the surface. It reminds me of how sometimes when you're sitting, I don't know if you've done this, but you're sitting there and you've got a present in front of you and everyone's telling you, open up the present. So you rip off the wrapping paper and everything and you look at it, it's a cardboard box and it's for a vacuum cleaner. And you're like, you guys got me a vacuum cleaner? Like, (laughs) you know, some people that might make them excited. For me, not so much. Yes. And then they say, no, 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 (laughs) you need to continue opening up the box. That that was just an old box. We put the real (laughs) present inside of that box. It's like, oh, okay. So I think sometimes we stop when we see the vacuum cleaner box and we don't keep digging. And so Paul here is encouraging us, don't stop there. As he prays for his audience there, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. That's in verses 18 to 19. He's telling us that the best stuff is the unseen stuff. The best stuff is the stuff inside that you haven't seen yet, that you are still waiting to open up. And those three things, at least that he mentions here, are hope, and inheritance, and his power. Like, the power of the Lord is something that we haven't yet fully seen. We haven't yet fully experienced. The inheritance that we're awaiting for, that's something we have not yet received. And hope, obviously hope that has been seen isn't hope. So hope is something that's in the future awaiting for us. Only when our eyes are enlightened can we really start to see the greatness of what is under this wrapping paper and inside the box. God has not promised us a trouble-free life now, but he's promised us a glorious inheritance after this whole life is over. I love that illustration. I guess in a way that goes with this next challenge. If you think (laughs) of that box that doesn't look like a present and you're trying to figure out what is the real present, the next challenge is a reflect challenge where we ask ourselves the spiritual question to meditate on, what can I see happening in my life through the eyes of faith? And thinking about that box, you know, that vacuum cleaner (laughs) box, it it makes me ask different questions that does take me deeper into it. Keep keep pulling open the boxes. You know how sometimes people will play a joke on you and they'll have boxes within boxes within boxes. You have to keep opening the present Mm -hmm. until you get to, to something small. Sometimes that's what life seems like whenever we're trying to figure out what is going on here. Why did that something that seemed like it should have just worked didn't work out? And I don't know why. And there's this whole broader spectrum of why things might be happening whenever I open my eyes to to see through faith. How can I use this to grow? How can I receive discipline from the Lord from this, as, as Hebrews 12 talks about? And I think of two passages in particular that give me some insight into that spiritual realm and how Paul saw things that were happening to him and those around him. He says in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 18 that he wanted to come to the Thessalonians again and again, but Satan hindered us. And that's interesting. I don't know how Satan stopped this trip from happening. Maybe he made bad weather. I don't know what it was. And and I don't know the limits of Satan's power that God allows him to have in given situations. But Satan sometimes can stop something from happening that Paul wanted to happen, that maybe I want to happen, that I think would be good 
but Satan is opposing it. And of course, God can overcome and will overcome and and will help us accomplish what we need to and work through all of these things for good. But sometimes I can look and see, wow, is there something evil behind this? Is Satan trying to keep me from doing something? Maybe, maybe not. But that's a question that I can answer when I have my vision tuned by, as we say sometimes, the goggles of faith. And then another passage in Philemon 1.15 is interesting. He says about Onesimus, who was this slave that ran away from Philemon and now is coming back as a brother. He says, for perhaps this is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. Maybe this is why this whole thing played out. And I think he's saying, I don't know all of God's plans. I don't know how this is all supposed to work out, but sometimes there's a reason for things to happen the way they do. And sometimes God is creating or weaving a beautiful masterpiece in the events that we thought of as frustrating or troubling, like this servant running away. So it just helps me to see that sometimes, like you said, I need to keep opening boxes, keep opening wrapping paper to try to find the gift underneath it, to try to see more clearly what might really be happening in the spiritual realm that's affecting what I'm seeing in this world. I love that word perhaps there in Philemon. I mean, we really do have to settle into perhaps so often (laughs) because we're never going to really know a lot of the reasons why things happen. And that kind of leads, I think, into our request challenge, which is a prayer to the Lord, O Father of glory, enlighten the eyes of my heart. And the thought that I had here is like flipping on the spiritual light switch because a lot of times we are in the dark. We don't know what's going on. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes. And really, do we have the power to see these things on my own? I don't think so. I don't think we are going to know exactly what the Lord God is doing behind the scenes. Often, we're just totally in the dark without God. And so it's up to God to flip on the lights for us. Like Elisha prayed in 2 Kings 6 verse 17, that God would open up Gehazi's eyes that he might see. And so all of a sudden there in that story, his eyes were opened And he sees the mountain full of horses and chariots and fire all around Elisha. Like, there's stuff going on behind the scenes. And what if I lived like I could actually see those spiritual forces at work? What if I actually lived like I had my night vision goggles on or I could see in the dark or some superpower that I could actually see beyond (laughs) the curtain? What if I lived like that stuff was really going on and I just couldn't see it right now? Would that change the way I live and praying to the Lord, open my eyes is really a great starting point to know that he's the one who can do it. And I'm never going to see those things without his help. I love that. Yeah. This idea of the superpower that, (laughs) that gives us the ability to see, I think that ties in with this next challenge, the respond challenge. And this goes back to the x-ray vision where we can (laughs) see through what might look like misbehavior, might look like anger or sadness, might look like somebody is doing completely fine. But sometimes whenever we're prayerfully thinking about the spiritual aspect, we don't have superpowers like Jesus did to actually see their heart, but we can look for the spiritual need just because of that eternal perspective. So the respond challenge this week is to listen for spiritual needs in your interactions, remembering the eternal spirit in each person. And Jesus could see whenever he looked at the rich young ruler, he saw his heart. 
and he saw exactly what he needed to say, exactly what challenge he needed to throw down. Whenever the rich young ruler answered, it says that Jesus loved him. Jesus just saw the whole person there. And sometimes we can get stuck on seeing that this is a rich person or seeing that this is a young person or seeing this person is trying to justify themselves or this person is misbehaving or whatever. You know, I can look at my kids, though, and sometimes I can see the little person at their wits end and their bad behavior is happening and does it's not going to be excused. But sometimes I need to get past just punishing something that they shouldn't have done and treat the disease and not just the symptom mm -hmm. and recognize the path that can lead some stranger that I'm interacting with to act like honestly a complete jerk to, to somebody they don't even know. Right. Like, wh why would you act like that? Why would anyone ever act like that? But in scripture, we see how people start going down those paths, how they're given over to a chain of events and an, a series of actions and attitudes and behaviors that, again, doesn't make it okay, but helps you to see underneath it, this person so needs Jesus, this person so needs salvation to pull them out of this darkness that they're just stuck in. Seeing the fear or the sadness or the guilt, or maybe on the other hand, the joy that I can share or the gifts that I can celebrate in someone. Just, just seeing beneath the obvious and allowing myself through what the Lord has taught me about what a human is and how each person works, how we're built to function. I can see this hidden world. I can see this eternal spirit. I can see someone that needs a savior that in so many ways is just like me and just like every other person that the Lord came to save. We jump to conclusions so often, don't we? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I do that so much. And man, if that's not just one of the biggest challenges in dealing with people, especially people who are challenging to deal with, is just jumping to conclusions and thinking that you've summed them up, you know what their issues are, but getting to the heart of it, seeing that my first thought may not be the accurate thought, I think also leads into our reach out challenge, which is a conversation that we're going to have with people this week and asking this question, is there an event in your life you saw one way in the moment, but then later saw more of the story? So is there anything that you can think of, I guess, that's happened this way? So many things, <laughs> so many things that, as a song said that I, I heard a while back, you have to walk the rocks to see the mountain view. And mm -hmm. You have to get through some things. And on the other side, sometimes it's a little clearer. But I was just thinking about this year, and I, you might call it the church butterfly effect. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was talking to Adrian this morning about all the things that have happened with this congregation this past year, and I told her, that if I knew before what I know now, I would have done a lot of things differently. But I think that would have been wrong, actually. Right. Because I can see so much good coming from the way I did respond that I'm confident that was God's plan. God knew that I wouldn't know in the moment all the things that were going on. So I, re I felt responsibility for doing things I wasn't fully comfortable doing. And now I think I probably could have gotten by not doing, but the congregation has stepped up in such a big way, so many good things, and I'm thankful I did. And so God can even use the blinders on our time-bound, earth-bound perspectives to do good that we otherwise might have dodged. So it's like getting all twisty in that, and I wrote this out like this. 
If I knew then what I know now, I wouldn't have done then what I did then. But if I didn't, what would have been? Praise God, he knew that I didn't know and led me to do what I did because I didn't know what I didn't know. (laughs) So, So, I mean, we're talking about, you know, what God sees and how twisty it gets. It's like watching an episode of Loki or something. But it's like the splintering time effects and and variants that we could create if if we knew what God knew. But really... God sees these things and he's guiding us through them. And it just gets clearer as we go sometimes. And some things, of course, we won't ever know. But what a blessing to be able to kind of trace God's hand. And when we, even when we don't see it, to know he's with us. What about you? Let me ask the question. Is there an event in your life you saw one way at the moment, but later saw more of the story? I guess I'll pick off something that's more recent as well. Probably over in the last few years. There have been a few anxious kind of health moments and people that I've been close with who've died. And it's just kind of made me more aware of like my health and my mortality just reminded me of how the fact that I'm not a 20 something invincible. There we go again. Another superpower invincible (laughs) kind of person. I am actually a human being whose body is decaying. What? Shocking to know. But I think in some of these moments where I've spiraled down the drain of worry, at the time, it just felt like the whole world was coming to a stop when those things were happening, when I was anxious, when I was just spiraling out of control. Now I look back to those moments and I actually see that those have helped me with this whole like year and a half pandemic that's been going on. I mean, Mm -hmm. those happened prior to all of this and getting into this whole time has also been stressful. And certainly there's been anxiety surrounding it, but it's made me a lot more at peace to see that I've made it through things that have worried me before. And there are worrying things that are going to be happening to me in the future, like they're happening to me today. And I know that God has proven up to this point that when I've prayed and when I've laid everything before him, that he's been there to carry me through. Just remembering that and seeing those experiences, I think for me, in the moment, All those things just seemed really difficult and challenging, but looking back at them, they've been kind of like the bricks or the foundation on which I can now stand with more firmness and confidence, knowing that I'm okay, I'm Mm. still here, and just those moments that build on each other and build on each other really start to just tell me, like, things are going to be okay. And if they're not, I still trust in the Lord. Some trust in chariots. Chariots, schmariots. Chariots, schmariots. Where we're going, we don't need chariots. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Yeah. I, it's so true. We go through these things and we don't know what's ahead, but then we get there and it's like we've been in training for that very moment. Yeah. And yeah, I I definitely can see that. Or you meet someone who's going through the same thing you went through and you realize God has brought me to this person to be there for them in a way that only I can or that I uniquely can. Yeah, Um, that's a big part of it, too. Yeah, it's it's definitely a great question to ask. I I bet we could get such great stories. Looking forward to asking some other people this question because we read the Bible and we read about these stories. We watch movies about these stories, but everybody's life is this amazing story that's being played out. And especially in the lives of Christians. We went to a 50-year anniversary of some friends, and it was just so cool to hear how God was working throughout this 
brother and sister's lives. This elder in our church, this just powerhouse dynamic couple that God did so many things that you can't see in the moment, but 50 years down the road, <laughs> you can see a lot clearer all the things that he's done. Hindsight is awesome. And I think every one of us has the blessing of hindsight if we're able to look back on our life. I think looking back sometimes while we need to not focus on the past and get consumed by the past, the past really does help shore up our future and mm -hmm. help us to trust in the Lord, help us to see his great blessings and all the things that he's done. And so this has been a conversation about spiritual awareness. What are we going to talk about next week as we continue this conversation of watchfulness? Yeah, as we think about what kind of heart should we have because we have this awareness of so many other things going on, we want to talk about readiness, being sober, being watchful, being ready for the situations that come, whether it's a temptation, whether it's an opportunity to speak the gospel. We want to always be on uh, orange alert or, <laughs> you know, we want to always be at a state of readiness where whenever we're called upon by the Lord, we're ready for, we're ready to meet the moment in faithfulness and loyalty and faith. All right, let's uh, get into DEFCON 1 here. Here we go. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning into the Bible Geeks podcast. You can find us on our website at BibleGeeks.fm. You can find show notes for this episode in your podcast player of choice or at BibleGeeks.fm slash 120. You can also follow along this cross-training series there on our website as well. And if you'd love to support the show, we would love it if you would share it with a friend, tell somebody about what we're doing here. We'd appreciate that so much. And until next week, everyone, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Shalom. Shalom.